writing you to remind you that we should love one another. I'm sending Onesimus back to you, and he comes with my own heart. I felt the necessity to write you, appealing that you contend earnestly. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The exiles of Israel will return, and the Lord himself will be king. So glad you're here. I am having iPad difficulties, so um, I'm going to use my phone instead of my iPad this Sunday. Hey, will you stand with me? We are going to read uh, the second, uh, second John, the letter of Second John, and that's going to be our, our verses for today. If you have your Bible with you, take it out. If not, they'll be on the screen here. If you have it, maybe on your phone, you can do that as well. And so this is Second John, verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his, command, to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in, this, in his wicked works. For though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Father, we thank you for these words from John, these words to the church, whatever church that may have been that he wrote to. But God, we know that there's truth in this, and we pray that that truth lands and settles in this church on us, and that we walk in it. And so that's our desire for today, in Jesus' name, amen. As you can see, camp is going on. If you're like me and your attention deficit, this is your absolute worst nightmare. So if you begin to get distracted and engage all this stuff instead of me, I commiserate with you. I'm tempted to ignore you and check all this out myself. But I do have my camp shirt on, so I feel like I've been invited to, to fit in, although um, the camp staff did go and have some fun the other day, and they didn't invite me. So we, we may have to 
put that on their hearts for the rest of the summertime when all the fun stuff happens. Hey, I want to tell you that, that it's awesome to have all these students that are coming here to serve. It's a great thing. And, and um, watching them th- for the past couple weeks and getting involved, it kind of reminded me of my, my first year at university. I was, I was on the soccer team, so we had to go in like June, and it's hot, and you had two-a-day workouts and all this stuff. But they had, once school started, they had these certain classes you had to take. And one of those was a, a class that, that was designed to help you be successful in college. But underneath it all, really honestly, there was a lot of stuff that they were trying to teach us that would really just shatter any delusions any of us had of being professional in whatever sport we played. Because um, there's a lot of people that show up at the university and that's their, that's their retirement plan of life is they're gonna go be professionals and it just never happens. But this one course we had to take the first semester, everybody had to take it if you were playing a sport. And it was a course on study skills. It was called study skills. And it was really great information about developing certain study habits and and learning practical techniques. But here's the thing. This class had two tests in it. It had a midterm and a final. Think about that. The premise of the class is that I don't know how to study, and then you are going to tell me that you're going to teach me how to study but I have to take tests that I have to study for as you teach me how to study. So, so it doesn't make a ton of sense, does it? We know you don't know how to do this, but we're going to test you on it anyway. And, and so one of the things that came out of that, though, was this, this idea that skills to study, practical techniques to study, are something that we can refine, and we can practice, and we can acquire, and we can press into that. And the truth of it was, many first-year students there had no idea how to study. We hadn't been taught. And I think that that's true for many of us in the Bible as well. I don't think we, we've been taught, we've been adequately equipped with practical techniques to necessarily know how to study Scripture. And so what we want to do, our goal for this series that we're kicking off today, is to help you beef up your study skills, but to give you a place to practice those. And so... We want you to be able to get the most out of God's Word when you press in to study it. Now, we figured that there's there's five one-chapter books in the Bible. We just read one of them, 2 John. But we figured those five books are a great place to learn study skills and then practice them this summer. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to give you a fistful of Scripture in these five books that are one chapter long each so that you can practice sound study skills, so that you can glean all that God has for you in each of these books and press it deeply into your life. And so here's what we've done. We've created a study guide that will be um, available on the Facebook page, on the website, and then we'll have a few copies out in the the lobby after the service today as well. But it's just a, a, a brief study guide to help you have a framework that you can press any scripture through and get more out of it. And and I want to give you just a a simple overview of it today. It's four components of this study guide. And and then you can take that and use it to gather a fistful of scripture. So we all need to understand this. As people who profess to follow Christ, Bible study is not an optional practice. It's an essential If anyone professes to be a Christian, studying Scripture is an essential practice. 
If you desire to love God passionately and to grow in Christ intentionally, you must engage this practice. And so here's the four components that are going to make up the framework that we're going to send you away with today. The first is preparation. It's critical to seek the Holy Spirit's guidance, wisdom, and discernment through prayer before you begin to study Scripture. The second piece of the framework is observation. You've got to pay attention to who the author is, the date of the, the uh, material you're reading, the theme of that particular book, and what is the author's outline. And then the third component of this is interpretation. It's important to pay attention to the genre. Is this poetry? Is it, is it uh, prophecy? Is it a letter? Is it historical? And then you've got to note who the audience is and then the context of the book. This is an important step as you interpret because it's important that we remember this. A passage cannot mean for us today what it could never have meant for the original audience of the words. And so we have to have the context in the audience. And then the last thing is the application. In simplest terms, application is just going to God in prayer and saying, what are you inviting me into, Lord? As I've read this and studied it and pressed into it, what are you inviting me into? And then I listen to God, and from that, I develop a practice to engage in based on the truth of the Scripture I just studied. And so with all that framework in mind, I want to dive into 2 John. And so it's widely accepted that the Apostle John is the author of 2 John. And, and, and the view on the audience, though, who he was writing to is a little different. Some people think he was writing to a specific woman and her family. Others think that when he said to the elect lady, he was writing to a specific church somewhere around the world that he had been a part of, that he had helped start maybe, or that he had visited. And so my opinion is simply this. I believe for different reasons of grammar and some, some other verses in Second John, I think he was probably writing to a church and he called that church the elect lady. And, and so that's how he referred to the church in general. And then we get to verse 6. Verse 6 is one of the key verses in this book. Listen to this. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment. Just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. And so with verse 6 as the anchor of 2 John, we can expand from there to get a deeper understanding of John's call in this letter. And that gives us the theme of 2 John. And here's what that theme is. Obedience to Jesus' commandment is walking in love for one another. So the theme of 2 John is you have to be obedient to the commandments of Jesus. And his commandment is to love one another. Now these words of Jesus appear in John 13, 34. The same John who wrote this letter wrote the Gospel of John. And those same words get pressed into 2 John. So here's John 13, 34 where Jesus gives this to the apostles. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So John is in the room, Jesus says these words, and they end up in 2 John. He brings this commandment to love one another 
from the room with the apostles and lays it before the church in his letter. Now, this is a new commandment from Jesus in the sense of priority, but not in Revelation. Jesus isn't saying, for the first time ever, you're going to hear the words, love one another. But what he's saying is, hey, over the years, this has gotten pressed down under religion, and it's time to bring it back to the top. And so that's what he does here. Because the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself, to love strangers, that, that was given in Leviticus 19 and in Deuteronomy 10. So it's not a new commandment. This isn't something that the people of Jewish faith had never heard before. The revelation was already made that we should love one another. But Jesus in John 13 and then John in this letter is saying, no, love of others is a top priority. If we are going to be obedient to Christ, we must make loving one another a top priority. And we shall walk in it. So there we get the theme and the point of 2 John. Now, sorry, I got a notification from Temple Baptist Church. Oh, hey, that's me. Huh, interesting. I feel bad for all of you watching online. I just saw me. Um, so, so we get this commandment from John through John that says, look, love one another is not something new, but it needs to be made the priority. It needs to be brought back to the top of our faith. And so by making the commandment to love one another an issue of obeying Jesus, John is bringing forth the point that he made in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Listen to this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Do you see what John is bringing forth here? Love is the essential commandment of Jesus. It's priority. And then he goes on in verse 20 of chapter 4 in First John, listen to this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Do you see what's happening here? This is strong language. This is strong language to present a theological truth around love. And here's that theological truth that John is carrying forth from his gospel into 2 John. It's impossible to love God and not love others. Period. It's impossible to love God and not love others. Now here's the problem we have in our present culture. Because here's what we're told. We're told that there's no difference between love and acceptance. If you love me, then you will accept me no matter what. In short, we're being told that to love another person is to accept them as they are without any expectation of any sort of change or growth. And that's not biblical. See, the biblical model of love goes way further than the cultural model of love. It actually raises the bar up. The biblical model of love has change and transformation at the core of it cultural model of love does not. It simply says, let me be as I am, and you tolerate it. But that's not love. 
See, the love of God is a love that seeks to meet us as we are and make us into who we are created to be. That's the love of God. Meet us where we are, sinners, desperately in need of God's grace and mercy. Make us into who we were created to be, the beloved of God in Christ, abiding in Him for all eternity. See, the world's model of love ignores a key element of loving others. And it's found in verse, in, uh, verse 3 of 2 John. And that key element is truth. God is a God of love for sure. And we are to be a people of love, certainly. But the thing that's missing in the world's expectations of love, not just from the church, but from each other, is truth. We have to understand that the word you're used for truth here in these first three verses of 2 John, is not about facts or knowledge, but about divine reality, about revealed truth, about truth in the moral sphere, not simply about intellectual truth, about facts. We have to answer the same question that John reported Pilate asking in the Gospel of John in chapter 18. What is truth? And John has an answer in his gospel in verse 14, chapter 6. It says this, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. John understood when he used the word truth in 2 John, he understood he was talking about a person, not simply knowledge or correctness of belief. See, John, by weaving truth and love together, gives us a picture of an action. And that action is hospitality. Truth plus love equals hospitality. Hospitality is the action. That's the practice that John's inviting us to walk in. Hospitality is not simply being nice and welcoming and friendly, but is actually loving one another. Actually loving another person. And here's what love is in the biblical sense. Love is to desire good for another. If I love you, I desire the good for you. And truth is Jesus. And Jesus is the highest good anyone can receive. So if I truly love you, then my desire for you is that you have Jesus. So hospitality then is not only loving, but loving in truth. I will desire good for you out of love for you and love for God. And the highest good I can seek for you is that you would be in the truth in Christ. And so if we're going to be a church of hospitality, particularly as we welcome over 800 kids on our campus, in our building and under our teaching, and to experience the love of temple over the next weeks of this summer, children are coming from all sorts of backgrounds and with a variety of spiritual needs, we have to ask this question. What does it mean for us to receive anyone in truth and love? What does that mean? Well, first and foremost, it means that we desire the greatest good for everyone who comes into our presence. 
Every child that enters this building, every parent who comes in to pick them up and drop them off, and that we as the body of Christ know that the greatest good for every person who has ever lived is a relationship with Jesus, the truth. And so for us to be a hospitable church to help these children and their family find Jesus and a place to belong at Temple to find what Sergio talked about he and Nancy finding when they came to Temple as strangers, we all need to do what Catherine invited us into and pray. The starting point for us as a church body as we long to be a place of hospitality for these kids and these families coming this summer is to pray. Pray for the children that are coming and the staff that's going to teach them and care for them and their families who might be far from God. The next thing it means for us is that we hold tightly to the truth. The truth who is Jesus. We must all, each of us individually, be tending to our relationship with Him if we're going to be a church that can invite our young guests into a relationship with Him. It has to start with us. We have to do what John is teaching us to do in 2 John. Walk in the commandment of Jesus to love one another. When I was a kid, we had neighbors. They lived across the street. They were very hospitable people. Their house was always open. My brother and I would go over there and play with their sons all the time. But we would never stay long. And here's why. Their dad was a yeller. Anybody have friends whose dad was a yeller? He yelled at the mom, he yelled at the boys, he yelled at us, he yelled at the dog. I swear, I think I heard the man yelling at his goldfish one time. They were very hospitable people. You were always welcome in their home. But what were they inviting you into? They were inviting you into yelling and arguing and discord. It was an invitation into something that we didn't want to be in. We don't want to be that kind of church where we say we're inviting people into the body of Christ and they show up and they go, you guys are telling me you love me, you don't even like each other. You argue and yell over everything. I'm good. I'm good. At least when I go to the bar at happy hour, everybody's nice. They laugh and tell jokes together. They have joy. Only thing they argue about is who's better, Canadians or the Maple Leafs. But you guys argue over ridiculous stuff. Hockey matters. But the color of the wall doesn't matter. Why are you fighting over that? Anybody have that church experience? Anybody want that church experience? Anybody want to be a part of a church where people say they came to your church and they had that experience? See, we have to have love for one another first. We have to have something to invite people into. Hospitality into a junkyard doesn't matter. I don't want to be in a junkyard. You can welcome me there, but it's not where I want to be. But true hospitality begins with us loving each other so that when people show up and we say, hey, let me tell you about my Jesus, they go, I need to hear about that because I see how you love each other. I see how you treat each other. I see how you care for each other. So yes, I will hear about that person. Like my friend's house. Hey, welcome in. You're part of the family. I don't want to be part of the family. You're going to start yelling at me too. I'd rather be outside 
than inside. There's a danger for us as a church. If we don't obey this commandment in 2 John to love one another, this commandment of Jesus, if we don't walk in this commandment to love one another that John brings forward in 2 John, we will be like that neighbor's house where we'll invite people in, they'll come in, they'll look around, and they'll head right out the back door because we're not inviting them into anything they want to be a part of. See, day camp is an opportunity to invite children and families first into temple, but most importantly into Christ. The question for us is, are we going to invite them into an experience of love and truth? And if we love one another, as Jesus said, if we hold tightly to the truth of Jesus, that he will meet everyone where they are, but will never leave them there, then we will be a hospitable place for everyone that Jesus brings to us this summer. We have to understand that doing all this comes with a warning, though. When we get to verse 8 in 2 John, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what you have worked for, but may win a full reward. If we're to be a church that is hospitable, where people can belong, we must hold to Jesus. We cannot compromise him or his teachings for the sake of attendance. We cannot be shaped by those who don't know him. We can't become a group of people who takes on the form of whoever comes that has no desire for truth. We have to stand in Christ and we have to give the confused and the lost a place to stand in all the storms of this crazy world. We have to present them with a truth to abide in. And that's Jesus. A truth that will abide with them as he will with all of us for all of eternity forever. And so here's the thing. Hospitality that doesn't invite others into love and truth is not hospitality. Hospitality that invites us to stand against one another instead of loving one another is not hospitality. Hospitality that's founded more so in how we talk, but not in how we walk, is not hospitality. Hospitality for us this summer and beyond is to cling tightly to the truth, Jesus, and to love those who come to us as we love one another. And we do that by being the grace of God to the very people who show up here. We do that by being okay with a stage that looks a little different than normal. By being okay with things that seem a little out of order. By reaching out to those who you know who have children coming to us this summer. The people who interact with Jesus one time a year. And it's at day camp. This is the heart set of hospitality that we have to have this summer. Because here's what happens. Hospitality helps people understand that if temple is a safe place to be, then it's a safe place to be changed. If people don't feel safe coming here, they'll never feel safe being transformed here. And we miss the mark if they're not safe here. If we walk in hospitality, in truth and love this summer, I guarantee you that will become our normal walk. Now, are we talking about compromising beliefs for the sake of acceptance? No, we're not. 
But I have a belief that, that the deepest need every person has is the true person of Jesus Christ. And so my belief is this. Those who don't recognize their need for Jesus have not been introduced to that Jesus. They've inter been introduced to some lesser Jesus. Someone who is not the fullness of Christ in our own hearts and minds. And so how can I introduce you to the one who is when I've never met him? That's why it's so important for us as a church to say, I'm going to press into my relationship with Jesus, to know him fully, so that when you come into my presence, I can introduce you to the one who is, not the one I wish was. And so the practice of studying Scripture is going to transform us into a people of hospitality. Imagine what this place would look like if we all spend the next week going through 2 John together, studying it, using the study guide we prepared for you. Imagine the level of hospitality and the sense of belonging that will fill this place. Not only for the children attending, but their families as well. The ones who never come here for day camp, having conversations with their child who went to day camp around the dinner table each night. As the Holy Spirit comes and makes the campus of Temple Baptist Church a place of truth and love for those who come here, maybe, just maybe somebody finds what Sergio and Nancy found when they came here. A place to be accepted as who they are, regardless of how different, no offense, Sergio. And more importantly, a place to grow in Christ intentionally. In short, we want to receive others in the same way that Jesus received us. But we know that hospitality is a two-way street. We can show hospitality, but it has to be received. Jesus shows us hospitality in desiring us and inviting us. But we have to receive him. He never compromised who he was for the sake of relationship. Think back to the rich man who came to him and said, tell me what I must do to obtain eternal life. Jesus didn't change anything to accommodate that man. He gave that man truth and that man walked away. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. No matter how hospitable we become, if we stand in truth, there will be people who will walk away from that. But we don't stop loving them because of that. We do what Jesus did. We continue to offer him the love that he offers us. And so if you haven't, experience that hospitality that Jesus brings into our hearts, the hospitality of receiving Him as Lord and Savior. He's been offered to you. If you've been here, it's been offered to you. Maybe you just haven't received it yet. Well, if you haven't, maybe today's the day. We're going to have prayer partners down here at the end of the service. And if you want to have a conversation with someone about receiving the ultimate hospitality, which is from Christ, which says this, I will meet you where you are and make you what you were made to be. Then you can do that today. You can respond just simply by coming down and praying with a prayer partner or asking questions. But you know what? More importantly... Each of us has been invited into a deeper place with Christ. If I know him, he's inviting me more into him. And this summer is a time for us to do that. A time to say, I'm going to go into the deepest place with you. And that deepest place starts with a place of loving one another. 
If the love of God is in me, if I love God, it's not that I have no choice but to love you. That's, that's not what this is about. It's about that I will naturally love you. And so it's not about saying, oh, I got to be a loving person because I love God. And if I don't love all of you, then people will think I don't love God and I don't want that. But the reality is if I love God, if I tend to that relationship with God, if I press deeply into the love of Christ, you will find that I become the kind of person who loves everyone. And the love one another thing begins to happen in my life. Father, as we get ready for this six weeks of day camp and, and 800 plus kids coming here, Father, I, I love it because it's exciting and it's fun and it's an opportunity for people in our community who don't know you to get to know you. But you know what else is an opportunity for God? And, and this is what I hope happens for us. It's an opportunity for us to become the kind of people and the kind of place that those people want to come back to. People who don't know you want to come back to. And so God, I pray this summer you give us a deep conviction of your truth in new ways for each of us that invite us deeper into the reality of who your son is and, and what he's inviting us into. And Father, give us boldness to stand on the truth of Jesus, but to do it in a way of love, not in a way of opposition. Lord, it breaks my heart when I hear non-Christians be able to recite what you're against so readily, but they can't even say what you're for. Because God, I know that your son is for each of us, each of us in him. The highest good we could have is him. The greatest truth is him. And so the truly love one another is to desire the full truth of Jesus as our constant companions, the one who is in us and who we are in. So Lord, I pray that as we study 2 John this week, that's what happens in us. That's what happens through us. We become a place where the love we have for each other cannot be questioned by anything. We ask all that in Jesus' name.